Good morning. My name's Becky, and my husband Greg and I have attended here for several years. Um, and every once in a while, I get the opportunity to be up here and, and share the word with you. But normally, I'm meeting with women in one of these rooms for a Bible study. Uh, we just finished <clears throat> this fall. We did majoring in the minors. About 15 to 20 of us came together and just talked through some some exciting things from the minor prophets and just want to put a couple plugs out for 2024 uh, in the winter we're going to be doing I try to keep them around six weeks six to seven weeks uh, we'll be doing a study called crossing over it's going to be the book of Hebrews I think it'll be a wonderful compliment to Luke and, and understanding the role of Jesus and then um, in the spring Brittany Ely right over there wave Brittany is going to co-teach with me um, a study called uh, Disciplines of a Godly Woman. So I'm excited about that. So just keep your eyes and ears open, ladies. We'd love to have you come out and join us for that. Um, <clears throat> so we are going to start uh, Luke chapter 1 today. You know, for millennia, God has chosen to do the extraordinary through ordinary and sometimes broken men and women. Moses. He ran from the accusation of one Israelite only to return later and lead one million Israelites across the Red Sea. Esther, a captive bride, um, saves the entire Jewish population of Persia. Peter, the guy you know who, who betrayed Jesus three times, later preaches in that very same city and 3,000 are saved. So in Luke chapter 1 today, we're going to see two stories of ordinary people that God calls into the extraordinary. Luke was a physician and a historian, as Pastor Nathan told us last week, and he cared very much about the details, and he wanted to tell the complete story in his gathering of information. So you're going to find, as we go through this book, that there are some very long chapters in the book of Luke. So we're not going to cover all those verses today. If you look and see there's 70-something, you're like, oh my goodness. We won't cover all of them, but I encourage you to go home this week and read through it and just really ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and truth to you through this chapter this week. And of course, it's the Christmas story, so you're going to want to read it anyways. But we are going to start uh, and read some sections of it, and then I'll stop and pause for a couple minutes, but we will be reading it, uh, part of it together, and we're going to start in verse 5 today. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in... Is that happening again? <laughs> I had a little trouble earlier. Uh, okay. Let's see. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. 
If you've ever heard a Jewish rabbi start to unfold scripture, one of the principles that they use is a name is not just a name. So they look at the meaning of the names. Zechariah, his name means Yahweh has remembered. And Elizabeth's name means God's promise. And they're described here in scripture as both being righteous in the eyes of God. They were a priestly descent, which means they, they, were, um, they, wrote, they were raised in a family of priests. And basically the Torah would just be like flowing through their veins. And it appears that as they went into adulthood that they remained very faithful to follow the commands of the Lord. But there's also another very important description of their relationship. They were childless. And apparently they were beyond the age to bear children. Now in light of Jewish culture, we know Psalms 127 tells us, right, that children are a blessing of the Lord. And barrenness was many times considered a curse. And I love that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat our walks with the Lord. We see many times in scripture the pain and the reality of living in this earth. And so one of the things that Elizabeth and Zechariah had to walk out all their years with God was this fact of barrenness. Let me just give you a little bit of background about the priesthood in these verses that we just read to give a little more clarity to maybe what was going on. There were 24 priestly divisions and during the time of Jesus that they thought there was about 20,000 priests. Each division would be required to cover the priestly duties in the temple in Jerusalem for one week twice a year. And they were required to do that from the ages of 30 to 50. So we know Zechariah was towards the end of that range somewhere, right? And to be chosen to bring the incense into the holy place could be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. The daily morning sacrifices didn't even start in the temple until that priest went into the holy place with the incense, so what an exciting moment that probably was for Zechariah to step into that curtain of that holy place. And he'd walk by the table of showbread and he'd walk by the big menorah and he'd go there to the golden altar, the altar of incense that was placed right in front of a very thick curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And this was as close uh, as a priest who wasn't the high priest would ever get to the presence of God. So as Zechariah is standing there with his incense, he's praying for the nation of Israel. He has a very unexpected encounter. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth, she will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
suddenly Gabriel who later on verse 19 tells us stands in the very presence of God is now standing beside that golden altar and he and Zechariah are alone in this holy place and he has a very important message to deliver Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to be parents now obviously not every birth announcement comes with an archangel right we've seen some cute birth announcements but I don't think we've ever seen one with an archangel standing there so this has to be a very pivotal event in history this baby was going to be great in the sight of the Lord in fact he's going to go in the spirit and the power of Elijah before capital H him and turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children now, any priest worth his salt, he knows, and especially a, a righteous, right, commandment-obeying priest knows that the capital H, him, is Messiah. So this was an announcement of epic proportion. Gabriel had just told Zechariah that revival was coming, and his son was going to, to be that promised Elijah that was going to go and prepare the way of Messiah now that may not have been clear to you and I in that announcement but as a priest who knew Torah and the prophets it should have been very very clear it had been around 400 years since the last prophet had spoken to the nation of Israel 400 years of silence 400 years of waiting and watching and waiting for Messiah and now Zechariah was hearing from that angel those very last words of that very last prophet Malachi as he said, look, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the father back to the children. Finally, God's promise was coming true. So what was Zechariah's response? Was he jumping up and down? Was he overwhelmed with humility? Verse 18 says, Zechariah says, well, how shall I know this? Because I'm old and my woman is old. All Zechariah could think about was that he and his wife were old. Too old to accomplish what the angel had declared. Now that doubt, it did not cost him the promise, but there was a short-term consequence. His voice was silenced until God's promise was fulfilled. I don't want my voice for God's silence. The angel tells him that he's going to be unable to speak until the birth of his son, John. Now, as an older person, this doubt of Zechariah, it really, it really spoke to my heart. You know, age is not a deterrent to calling. God has worked through the old, through the young, and the in-between. Age is not an excuse not to serve. It's, it's not to be an excuse not to be present in the working of the kingdom. In fact, Gabriel goes on to tell Zechariah that, that he had allowed his age, his advanced years, to create disbelief in the word of the Lord. If anything, 
our years with the Lord, it, it should confirm his faithfulness, right? And his word to us. So did that word that the Lord gave through that angel, did it come true for Zechariah? Let's look at verse 24. After these days, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God was and is faithful to his promise. And Elizabeth is pregnant, and in her reproach, her disgrace, it's taken away. Disgrace, that was a label that had been put on her by society and not by God. Instead, Elizabeth acknowledges that there is a favor of the Lord on her life. So we're going to pause right here, okay, in our first story. And we're going to jump ahead six months to our second story in verse 34. In the sixth month, angels, um, Gabriel's a busy guy. He's sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and she's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you're going to bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He's going to be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Another angelic visitation. Another prophetic promise. Another miraculous pregnancy. The long-awaited Messiah was coming. Now you remember in the Matthew account with the wise men, where did they go looking for the baby Jesus? They went to Jerusalem, right? To King Herod's palace. And it would make sense to us in our human thinking that the, the king of kings would be born in a palace. But maybe God's idea of royalty is different than ours. Because he chose a young unmarried teenage girl to bring forth the king of kings. And he chose a hard-working carpenter to be the earthly father of the king of the world. So how does Mary, how does she respond to this announcement from Gabriel? Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, she has conceived a son. And this is her sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This young, unmarried girl asked a question, very similar to Zechariah's question, right? 
But her, her question is more in the context of, of what's next? How exactly, what's the next step that I need to take here? A question that I think is a very fair one and apparently Gabriel did too because he goes on and explains to her how it's going to be possible and also gives her a very practical see it with your own eyes example of nothing being impossible with God her cousin Elizabeth so what does Mary do with all of this information verse 39 in those days Mary arose and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and she greeted Elizabeth and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I love the fact that Mary hurried to see Elizabeth. Now Gabriel had told her that, that her childless older cousin, right, Elizabeth, was entering into her sixth month of pregnancy. This is the same Elizabeth that had kept herself secluded for five months. So Mary wanted to see with her own eyes this evidence that nothing was impossible with God. She wanted to see the impossible possible because her pregnancy definitely fell into that category, right? Of the impossible. So she left quickly, and she, as soon as she could get out there, she's, she's, I think she's running down that path. And some people think it might have been around 80 miles. She traveled to this home of her cousin. And so now we see these two separate stories merging into one. Synergy is this idea that the interaction of two agents produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. A very simple example. We have chocolate, that is yummy, and we have peanut butter, that is yummy. And when we put chocolate and peanut butter together, we have a greater degree of yumminess, right? Do I have any yes with that? Yes. Yeah. All right. Synergy. When I was eight or nine years old, my family went on a three-week tour of Florida and this was before Disney was the huge park it is now. So we went to a lot of other touristy places. And one of those fun spots was Masterpiece Gardens. Um, <clears throat> their claim to fame was this huge mosaic of the Last Supper. And it had actually been smuggled out of Europe during World War II to protect it from the Nazis, which was no small feat because it was 10 panels um, big that each weighed about 500 pounds. And I remember as a kid walking down the path to this huge curtain stage and as the presentation comes to a close and the music's playing, this, these curtains start to separate and slowly to reveal this 24 foot high mosaic of Da Vinci's Last Supper. 
And from the distance, you know, it looked like that very familiar painting we know of Jesus sitting in the middle of the table and his disciples on both sides of them. But as you walked up closer to it, you began to see the little tiles. And in all, there were 300,000 separate pieces of tile of 10,000 different hues of color. I didn't even know that many colors existed in our world. But all of those were individually, specifically placed to create this huge masterpiece. You know, our God can do anything. He doesn't need people for events to happen here on earth, but because he's a father of relationship, he chooses to work through the hearts and the lives of human beings. Men, women, teenagers, children, different backgrounds, ethnicities, generations have been placed individually over the ages to create his masterpiece. And these two mamas in Luke, they were from two different generations. And they had amazing things happening in their lives. And I don't believe it was an accident that, that Abba chose a woman too old to bear children and a, and a young teenage virgin representing two distinct generations to fulfill the greatest prophetic work of all time of presenting Messiah to the world. I find it fascinating to study the different generations in my personal family. We have the silent generation, we have baby boomers, we have millennials, and we have generation alpha, a span of over 84 years. Now, how many of us boomers have called our son or grandson to hook up our new TV? <laughs> I, 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 I see some, yes. Thank you for the witness, all right. Do you remember when all you had to do was like take it out of the box and plug it into the wall and you might have had to adjust the little silver thing sticking out of the top? <laughs> Turn on the dial and there you go. You had a fuzzy TV picture. <laughs> But now we have 4D and streaming and all the good stuff, so it's worth the call, I guess. But I will admit that sometimes it is easier to stay within our own generational thinking. So many factors play into how we react to the world around us. But this picture of Mary and Elizabeth sitting in the room when I read this this time, it just really moved my heart to want to open up in my life, open up more even to the generations. They both had so much to offer one another. You know, Elizabeth could share her, her experience, experiences with Mary of living for years under the disgrace of childlessness. Oh, how the neighbors talked. And of course it wasn't true. She'd done nothing to deserve a curse from God. She was righteous and loving God with all of her heart. But do you think Mary would be facing a similar situation with her neighbors when she goes back home? It's kind of hard to hide a pregnant belly. And remember, she wasn't married. And you know, mobility can get a little difficult in that last trimester, and I imagine especially the older you are, the more difficult it could be. How much did Elizabeth in, uh, just appreciate and enjoy Mary being there to help her during that last trimester? And don't forget the conversation, right? Zachariah, he couldn't talk, and we ladies like to have somebody to talk to. 
So she had some conversation with Mary in those months that I know she really appreciated. And I, and I really believe that those three months helped them even to be better mothers to their sons. How much time do you think they talk to one another about what their boys were gonna be when they grew up? Two separate lives coming together for one godly, awesome purpose, the revelation of Jesus. You know, when Mary and Elizabeth, two different generations came together, walking in obedience to God's call, the Holy Spirit fell in the room and filled a generation yet to come. Wow. To me, that was one of those selah, you ever see that in the Psalms? Like, what's that sticking over there for? That's because they just wanted you to pause for a minute and, and allow that, that truth and that presence of the Holy Spirit to come in and really seal that word into your heart. And just think about that when the generations come together and they're, they're walking in their calling. The Holy Spirit comes into that midst and it has the possibility to influence generations on down the road that are yet to come I love that because that's what we're to do right we're to perpetuate the message of the gospel and the hope and the love of Jesus into generation after generation after generation that is the synergy of the ages and do we miss out on that when we refuse to interact with other generations? What are, what are some of the reasons that we wouldn't? You know, I remember the first time in my late 30s when I walked back into a high school full of teenagers after I'd been out of it for about 20 years, you know. And I have to admit it, it was a little intimidating. Fear, pride, insecurity, those can all keep us from stepping into the unknown. And what are some of the obstacles that prevent that interaction? You know, I don't have to tell you that judgment and criticism are huge barriers to relationships. But when I think of Mary running down that path to Elizabeth for God's confirmation and I think of Elizabeth being able to share with Mary the greatest joy of her life. I don't think I should do anything to stop that. Fear, pride, insecurity, judgment, criticism shouldn't be part of my nature in Jesus. Instead, through the Spirit of God producing in me, there's love, there's joy, there's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Therefore, I can, I can run forward looking for that confirmation and that encouragement in my calling that I need while holding on to the hand of my sister behind me and giving that word and pouring that word into her. That's the plan of God. For us to, to be spiritually, emotionally healthy and, and to build that into the generations yet to come. Hebrews 10 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised 
is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. His word says that we are to come together and encourage one another. All the more is that capital D day, and that capital D day can be different for us, right? It's that, it's that day of difficulty. All the more we need to come together during that time. Let's finish our story in Luke chapter one. Elizabeth does have a son, and there is great rejoicing. The eighth day arrives, which is, is the name is, which is when the name of the son is to be formally announced. And Zechariah agrees, yes, his name is to be John, which means God is gracious. And at that written declaration, when he writes out those four words, Zechariah can suddenly speak again after nine months of silence. And at that moment, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies over his newborn son and over the son in Mary's womb. So we're gonna read just the end of that prophecy in verse 76. And you, child, you, John, you will be called the prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, if we put the meanings of the names Zechariah, Yahweh has remembered, Elizabeth, God's promise, and John, God is gracious, together, we see a beautiful picture of Yahweh remembering his promise and producing his grace here on earth. Zechariah's prophecy speaks of Abba's chesed. And if you come to my Bible studies, you know that is my favorite Hebrew word. It means God's loyal covenant love. That his loyal covenant love is what gives us this knowledge, this ability to understand salvation and the way to it. Jesus, he is the one that is that sunrise that brings light to us. And it, that light then brings us out of darkness. He is the one that shines onto the path of life so that we can once again find peace. You know, if John the Baptist, who baby John grows up to be, if John the Baptist were standing right here and wanted to introduce you to Jesus, he would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That includes your sins. That includes my sins. I'm so grateful for the cross. I'm so grateful that Jesus took all of our sins to the cross so that we can walk out of the shadow of death. That prophecy says we walk out of the shadow of death into his eternal love, into his eternal life, into his eternal light. And that gift, this gift, 
of salvation is available for everyone. And you're going to hear that over the next 17 weeks. If you don't never received that gift, if you've never opened up that gift of salvation, what a beautiful time to do it than right now during this Christmas season. And we would love to talk to you, love to pray with you, love to help introduce you to Jesus. Now there's some lessons from Luke chapter one that we talked about today. Number one, God works through ordinary people to do the extraordinary. How many of you would say you're an ordinary person? He wants to do extraordinary things through you. God is faithful to his promise. His promises in this word, his promises for you. He is faithful to perform them. Number three, generations coming together, walking in obedience to their God calling can impact a generation yet to come. I so want to see that. I want to see that. And number four, Jesus is the light that brings us out of our darkness. He doesn't leave us in darkness. He brings us into light. I hope that every time you see a Christmas light this month, you think about that. You think about Jesus bringing you out of darkness into the light. And you pray for somebody you know who still needs to see that light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are the God of impossibilities. That everything is possible with you. And you've shown it to us over and over in scripture where you've taken barren wombs and they have produced uh, a life And Lord, we've seen it in our own lives when we've had a barren spirit that has been a void of you and you have come in and you have brought life into our spirit. You have awakened our spirit to you, to your voice, to your calling. And so I pray that over every person here today, Lord, that you would awaken within them any, any part of their spirit that has not um, responded or understood the calling of their life from you. That you would awaken that this day. And as they walk in obedience, they will not be afraid. They will not be ashamed. They will not be too proud to reach into and back into and forward into different generations than where they are. And that together, Lord, in this day of trouble, in this day of confusion and chaos, in this day of difficulty, we will be able to stir up one another to love and to good works. And that your word will go forth, Lord from generation to generation to generation, from the, our testimony and the words of our mouth, we declare it 
in Jesus' name. Amen.